Hello and welcome to The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, co-head of Fixing Government Yarra Capital, and joining me is my co-portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Hello, everyone. Well, it's the first Tuesday of July, and that means the RBA has just met. And um, this time, Chris, they pretty much gave us what everyone was expecting, another 50-point rate hike, but didn't leave the market guessing too much. I think that was uh, probably the the best telegraphed uh, of the rate hike so far. What did you think of the statement? It was pretty uh, empty of uh, detail from what I could see. The statement itself felt like a copy and paste just from last month. And so basically the details were inflation is high and we're not sure what the household is going to do as we move rates, but we're going to normalise policy and, and see what happens. Apart from that, it's pretty hard to get a feel for when they're going to go next and just how big it's going to be. I thought there were a couple of interesting things that uh, were in the statement that probably changed from last time. One is that they they mentioned um, a little bit more risk around the, the outlook and they seemed to be a little bit more confident that inflation would peak this year. Whereas I think last time they were talking about inflation just going higher um, they hadn't talked about a peak and I think you know they've also mentioned that um, they're not 100% sure whether the consumer is quite as happy as they might have once thought did you see any sort of thing else in there yeah the, the only other thing was just at the very end of the statement last month what they had said was given the current inflation pressures in the economy and the still very low level of interest rates the board decided to move by 50 basis points today Given, you know, just before I said that this statement feels like a copy and paste from last month, the fact that that sentence has been dropped kind of sounds like they're now saying that, you know, while rates are potentially low, they're not very low. And maybe this is a bit of a signal that they're now starting to get towards something that they think is, you know, closer to neutral than where we were uh, 100 points ago. Yeah, well, you'd want to hope we're getting closer. <laughs> Otherwise, there's, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of trouble out there. Yeah, I, I think... You know, from my reading of it, it's saying that they're getting to a point perhaps where they might want to wait and have a look and see what's coming. I mean, we've obviously got um, another inflation print uh, towards the end of this month. That will give them probably a better guide as to whether they are getting closer to what they think is their end cash rate or whether they will probably keep um, hammering away on the rate trigger. But a lot's really going to depend on that number, I think, whether you know, we go 50, 25 or even pause in, in August. Yeah, certainly when you read these statements, it is saying that they're going to be going again in the next few months. So when that comes, I guess, is is the question. But when I look at the pace that rates are moving now, if they were to deliver another 50 next month, then you're starting to get this point where it's going to be one of the fastest tightening and conditions that we've seen. And certainly, you know, when I look around at the, the slowdown in the data offshore, I look at that and say, I hope that at some point we get this slow and steady move rather than just a jag up like they've been doing so far. Yeah, that was something else they probably indicated, which um, Wolby wasn't there in June, was that um, you know financial conditions, um, both due to inflation but also interest rates, are starting to tighten for the consumer, and that's that's ultimately what's clouding their outlook. They're still looking at spending data and saying that it looks relatively okay, but. You know, most of the spending data is really probably from prior to the previous rate cut or, or certainly only partly covered by that period. Interesting, there wasn't any real comment too much on um, housing. I, I think when we've been listening to low kind of over the past few months, while housing is starting to soften, they seem to be very comfortable with the fact that prices are still up, you know, 20, 25% since last year. And that seems to be giving them some comfort that, you know, as prices start to fall, it doesn't matter too much. That 
I think can be a little bit of a dangerous way to, to deal with it. But certainly while prices haven't started moving too fast to the downside yet, they can probably say that. And once it starts to pick up momentum, maybe it'll become more of a focal point for them. Yeah, it'll be certainly interesting if house prices start falling as fast as equity prices are at the moment globally. But um, yeah, I, I think you're right. You know, they'll want to dissociate their decisions from housing as much as possible uh, until they can no longer um, sort of put it out of their minds, I guess. I thought one of the other things that was a little bit cheeky in this statement is that they seem to have walked away from doing anything wrong during the COVID period. And they're now sort of saying, well, it wasn't us. It's just that we, we, we put the um, levers in place in case the COVID uh, period was worse than it could have been or for the worst case scenario, I think was their exact words. And and it wasn't as bad as we thought. So it's not our fault. (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure they can quite get away with that, but uh, might want to try that one next time (laughs) with with some of our own things. But uh, yeah, that was, that I thought was a little bit cheeky, but you know, good luck to them if they can get away with it. (laughs) I think though, when you look at that period and certainly, you know, what occurred 12 months ago in past speeches from Philip Lowe. He has said that, you know, we took the steps that we thought appropriate at the time. And certainly at the time, you know, when you think back to March 2020 and those few months after it, it felt like the world was going to end. So to to take some of the policy actions that they did, I, I don't think that they, you know, should be walking or trying to step away from it. They should just be saying we did that to protect the economy. And, and here we are now trying to deal with what's on the other side of that. Yeah, I, I still think perhaps it's, it's still a little bit... Um a little bit cheeky in that they they kind of expect the the average public uh, to sort of understand the nuances of what they're saying. Whereas I think most people would have just looked at we're not putting interest rates up till twenty twenty four or until things are better, and that was pretty much what the at least the housing market was being driven by. So you know perhaps they need to refine their messaging a little bit more clearly. But but you know we'll see. Uh, I, I guess in the in the wash up, but uh, I do think that was still a little bit cheeky. <laughs> Um, I guess that's probably a good place to sort of segue into the the next thing. And you know, one of the one of the things where you could argue they got wrong was the whole uh, inflation is transitory um, statement, which you know certainly was one of their main themes. Um, you know, you and I have talked about this quite a few times. To us, transitory wasn't that inflation was going to be there for three months and then go away. It was probably you know an eighty month to two year phenomenon. But the market you know, sort of got itself into a tizzy that, you know, suddenly we had higher inflation. Yes, a lot higher than expected, but for for fairly obvious reasons with Ukraine um, on top of all the supply constraints. And, you know, they were getting a little bit upset that wasn't suddenly solved within, you know, three to six months. I, I still think, you know, from what we're looking at, you know, inflation could well be maybe not transitory, but certainly uh, an 18-month to two-year two phenomenon. What, what are you seeing out there that might uh, see that come to fruition? When I kind of really look at what's happened and similar to the RBA kind of acknowledging this as well in where they've got it wrong, which is probably the exact same place as us, is that I wasn't expecting commodity prices to really blast off the way they did through this year. And, and a big part of that really came back to the Ukraine-Russia war, which we've talked about in the past. But that's taken commodity prices to where inflation kind of persisted for longer than they probably thought. We are starting to see now that some commodity prices are starting to drop. So if you look at base metals, if you look at you know copper, and quite perversely at the moment, if you look at agricultural commodities, they're starting to come off their top. That should bring with it 
a bit of lower inflation over the next kind of maybe six months as you still need to see prices drop a bit further. But also we're getting to the point now where we're starting to see some signs that, you know, the ports in China are starting to decongest. And quite a few months ago, we talked about the semiconductor shortage that there was in the world. And and that seems to be improving as well. So certainly now as they're hiking rates aggressively, you're starting to see demand drop. And with that, some of those prices and commodities fall with it, which generally should bring down inflation. So maybe this kind of commentary that we've seen from the RBA that last month when they were talking about inflation still going higher, now they're starting to say, we think it's going to be back to 2 to 3% next year. You know, maybe some of these things that they thought were going to be transitory are going to get there. It's just taken a bit longer than they expected and maybe a bit more of a shunt in rates than they expected as well. Yeah, I think too, you know, if if commodity prices stabilise even at these levels, you know, some of that inflation pulse will come out. Um, Obviously, there is still going to be some catch up. People will ask for higher wages um, globally to to compensate for that um, shift up in their cost base. But, you know, if the cost base doesn't keep shifting all the time, eventually that impact pulse from inflation will disappear. I think, you know, markets are obviously starting to worry about, you know, what the what the future holds, particularly with higher interest rates. So several central banks out there are saying they can't see any signs of um, recession coming. However, you know, when we look at uh, the GDP now casting that comes out of the Fed in the US, they're showing, I think now it's down growth at around minus 2% for the next quarter. Their own modelling is telling them that there's there's probably trouble ahead. Why do you think the central banks are so buoyant and so um, sort of unwilling to accept that they're likely to cause a hard landing? That's, I guess, a pretty tough question to answer. Coming kind of into this, my thinking was that, yes, inflation's high, but there's no point causing a recession to get it down because that's just what we spent all this money trying to avoid. Clearly now that looks to be wrong. I look at it quite a few forward indicators and I've kind of mentioned over the past few months that I haven't actually seen so many indicators pointing down at the same time over the past 10 years. So, you know, you can kind of speak to to different ones. New orders in the PMIs are starting to drop. Korean exports are starting to drop. Consumer confidence is low. If you look in financial markets, the the bond curve is starting to invert. You know, the S&P 500 is falling relatively quickly. All of these things are saying that there's a slow growth period ahead. My feeling is that at some point, the high inflation that we were seeing became political and that it was the administration, particularly in the US, that was forcing kind of the Federal Reserve to get a move on. And they probably didn't think that growth was going to slow down this quickly. And this kind of comes back, I guess, to the debt levels where when we look at the move-in rates, we kind of look at what that means on the debt that's been borrowed. I think, though, when you look at other people, particularly as well in you know the Fed and the RBA, they don't seem to say that these high debt levels are quite as dangerous as I think that we would perceive them as. I've often wondered, too, whether uh, the distribution of, of some of these um, things amongst consumers matters as well we've seen quite a lot of commentators talk about the fact that consumers have plenty of assets yes they have plenty of debt but the the asset side of the equation you know covers a lot of it but you know we keep seeing you know for the last 10 years anytime rates go higher um there's quite a a quick reaction from consumers against higher rates um so i'm wondering whether you know the distribution of that that the debt 
sits with one cohort more than the the assets do, and perhaps that's that's one of the things. Um, probably smarter people than us can can work that one out. But there's definitely got to be something that's causing that problem because if it is purely matched, you know, you would expect that. You know, people are, are doing all right if they've got assets against their liabilities. But if the if it's not mismatched, and you know, you, you always hear that in banking world, um, you know, mismatches against your assets and liability positions tend to cause big problems. And and I wonder if it's the same for the consumer. I would think about this across two different ways. So before this, I actually went and looked at where all the the debt levels are in the economy. If you roll back to say the 70s, 80s and 90s, whether it's Australia or the US, debt to GDP in the economy, which includes corporates, the household and the government, it was kind of 130 to 150% of GDP. And if you look at the moment, it's closer to 250% of GDP. So when the last time we're moving rates this aggressively, debt to GDP was was about 100% of GDP lower. So clearly now it's probably going to bite and have a faster effect than then. But the second thing that I think builds into this is that the type of inflation that they're trying to stop, people just don't really have any control over stopping. So, you know, we talked about this in the past, you can't stop spending on oil, you can't really stop spending on food. So that really only leaves discretionary spot for you to drop your income even faster to get that down. So the RBA's path here of hiking rates, because oil and because global ag isn't coming down fast enough, implies then they need to get those consumer spending things down, which would bring with it a recession. I, I don't quite understand how, if that's what they're trying to achieve, that that's not a recessionary kind of outcome at some point in time that they should be thinking about. Yeah, it's one of the things the, the RBA commented on this time is that spending by the consumer has held up relatively well. But I wonder whether we're starting to see, again, some of these dynamics change where we've had an increase in prices, people are still spending, but it's spending on essentials rather than discretionary items. So so again, you know, we, we've talked about this before, the way you slow economies is by basically stopping discretionary spending that's kind of the the main impact of monetary policy and you know they could be actually i guess to some extent being sidelined a little bit by the the fact that you know yes spending is still strong but is it strong because people are just spending on things they have to which costs more rather than you know still keeping their discretionary um spending high yeah and i I guess on that as well you know, if you look at the consumer confidence figures, we've been bringing this up probably for, you know, five or six months now. Every month we look at them, they just get worse. So, you know, when the RBA, when the Fed, whoever it is, talks about, you know, we're expecting the household to remain resilient here, certainly the consumer confidence figures are saying that resilience is is very slowly slipping away. If you look through those indices, you'll see that the perception of people's current financial conditions is basically back where it was in the lows of the COVID pandemic. So people are saying this is starting to get um, pretty expensive just to live at the moment. And if we're going to go 50 next month and the month after, it feels like it's just about to get very expensive to live sometime soon. Yeah, I think you can probably put it down to um, people are much happier if they've uh, just bought themselves a, a new big screen TV or, or a nice pair of shoes rather than a $10 lettuce and a tank full of gas. So, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I think that's that's ultimately where we went. we may be heading. But, uh, you know, I guess for the, the next couple of months we'll will give us a bit clearer picture on some of that. I guess one of the the things we've been talking a lot about is that, you know, the US has been leading this whole move. Um, their inflation picked up faster than everybody else. You know, their their growth and, and everything probably was relatively strong despite the whole um, 
COVID sort of um, lockdowns and things like that. But, you know, we, we've talked about this before. We're starting to see, you know, some indicators showing that it's possible the US is already in a recession. They've still got high CPI. And we've also probably never seen a circumstance where the Fed or the RBA, for that matter, are tightening interest rates when they're in recession. What can they really do here, Chris? It makes it difficult. If if we kind of look at some of the indicators that we've seen, certainly if you use the curve, and I personally think the curve is probably the best indicator to use, once the curve inverts usually you're very close to the end of a hiking cycle. You know, if you if you throw this up on a chart on the screen, what you'll see is that the curve um, will invert and then about six months later, the Fed has stopped hiking. The curve in the US first inverted about three months ago. So at that point in time, it was kind of thrown away. Inflation was still very high. It's nothing to worry about. But now we're starting to see the data slow down very quickly. It does raise the question of what are you meant to do? Historically, if you look at the reaction that central banks have taken after the curve is inverted. They've actually usually continued hiking for about three months after that. They probably squeeze in about 50 to 100 points more after the curve inverts. They then pause for six months. And then after that, you find out that you're basically in a recession and they need to start cutting. So in terms of what they should be doing, historically, if you look at the curve, I think it's a great signal that you need to slow down and think about you know, the, the path that you're taking and, and what you want to do. What the Fed has been actually saying, though, I think it's going to be very hard for them to use that as a signal to do anything because they've been talking so aggressively over the past kind of six or three months now that it's going to be hard for them to do an about turn. You know, multiple Fed governors are saying that they need to get three and a half percent by the end of the year. And, you know, if you put that in perspective of the RBA, we've been delayed by about six months, but we've been now following pretty quickly. So, my hope was that they would slow down here because the curve is sending you a very real signal that growth is about to slow. But I think from their perspective, they're nowhere ready to do that. I think the the market's been happy to follow the Fed's rhetoric to some extent, and we've seen the, the yield curve flatten down, but it hasn't really inverted since then. Um, the next couple of weeks, we uh, yet another um, probably expected you know 75 basis point hike from the Fed um, at the next policy meeting, um, it'll be interesting to see if the curve does start to invert. Then I think, you know, maybe that coupled with some of the the poor data, I mean, we are actually starting to see some curve inversion in the in the um, euro dollar contracts, which is the, the short rate contracts in for the US dollar, but um, we haven't really seen it in the bond market yet. But but certainly, um, you know, the market is starting to price a much higher probability of rate cuts now in 2023, which, you know, <laughs> given their uh, relatively hawkish stance seems a bit unusual. But, you know, I, I think that's the market sort of saying to the Fed, you've done this before you put us in a recession and then you had to cut interest rates. So I think they're, they're playing that uh, that playbook again. Yeah, the I guess the, the last point on that that kind of I thought was interesting is that now that we're starting to see this data come out of the Fed, if you look at the energy problems that are coming from Germany and the slowdown that's probably going to come from Europe because of that, it really does look like certain groups are now expecting a recession to come. So I, I think I've seen a few research banks put out that they're now expecting that recession to occur. When I read this statement from the RBA, there isn't really too much of commentary around the global risks that are starting to build. So maybe it's just a bit too early because this information's really only come this month. But if the globe kind of goes down this path of actually the data's looking pretty soft here, maybe that will be 
the indicator that slows the RBA down because when I look at what the RBA has been doing over the past kind of 24 months, they've really just been following everyone else. You know, they were slow to put QE on and then they said, well, you know, everyone else is doing it, so we need to follow. And then if you think about when they stopped QE, they basically said, well, we're looking at what all the other countries are doing and it's probably about time for us to stop. So it doesn't really feel like, you know, the RBA is setting the forward-looking policy here. Whatever happens in those offshore economies, I think we can probably expect the RBA to, to follow not too far behind. So what one final thing I wanted to talk to you about, Chris, was just, you know, the RBA and particularly Governor Lowe recently um, came out and has been talking about um, wage growth. Um, you know, we've, we've seen it now in a couple of the RBA statements that their liaison program is showing wage growth. We haven't really seen anything in the um, the actual official numbers yet, although they, they probably lag reality. But um, he's been adamant that he wants 3.5%. He doesn't want less of that, but he doesn't want more than that. It seems a little bit prescriptive and a little bit uh, finessing to, to sort of ask for that. But one of the things I think to me is fairly obvious that People's cost of living between rates and and um, inflation and all that has gone up by way more than three and a half percent. Do you think in the environment where um, we're starting to see a lot more, um, I guess, industrial strife and and those kinds of things that you know people want to will be happy with three and a half percent, and whether the RBA's got the tools really to ensure that happening? I think it's a another tough one in the sense that if you look back over the past you know seven years, they've struggled to even get wage growth of 3%. So for Phil Lowe to come out and say that, you know, we, we don't want to see wages up at four and a half, five, it, it seems a little bit odd to be signaling that now because you've, the the economy kind of hasn't seen wages growth for so long that you, you kind of think you'd be more happy to let it run for a little bit to, to de-lever the balance sheets and the debt that people have taken on over the past kind of five to 10 years. Will they be able to kind of manage it like that? Personally, I don't think so. I don't really think any economic stat they can kind of manage that well. Generally, what we see is that they either overshoot or undershoot on both directions because they seem to jag kind of policy a bit too harsh in either direction. I think there's a a, a pretty good chance now that we'll see it pick up. I still pretty circumspect that we'll see it pick up to four. And while we are kind of seeing this industrial action, there are other reports kind of starting to leak out that, you know, if you look at more of the contract-based stuff, the EBAs and and whatnot, it's kind of in the closer to the two and a half, three percent range, which is slightly above where it was pre-COVID, but only marginally. So, you know, it, it still feels a little bit early to be acting aggressively to stop something at five, but equally they seem pretty kind of committed to the idea that their liaison is now telling them that the, the the wages market is ready to go. Yeah, I would have thought if you keep telling everybody that the economy is fine and that uh, everything's hunky-dory, people are going to ask for higher wages because their costs have gone up. I think the only way the RBA will possibly stop that is by creating a recession <laughs> and you know, then they're likely to get no wages growth. So I think you're right. It, it's a fine balance thing and I don't really think monetary policy is the, the right tool. But, you know, he, he sort of hung his, um, his shingle on this a little bit, you could say, similar to what he did with uh, sort of some of his other policies in the last couple of years. And I, I think it'll be probably one that comes back to haunt him because I think, as you say, it's going to be very difficult to, to target the ideal thing. Plus, he hasn't really explained why 3.5% is the magic number. He's just sort of asking people to take it on faith. But, but you know, and then, then in the other breath, he's telling us that the economy is doing really, really well. Um, which is also, you know, somewhat debatable. 
Well, that's it for this month. If you ever want to suggest topics or discuss further anything with Chris or I, we can be contacted at the rate debate at yarracm.com. Uh, tune in next month when we deliver our latest thoughts on the RBA's August rate decision and provide an update on what's been happening in markets. Until next time, stay safe. The Rate Debate podcast content may contain general advice. Before acting on anything in this podcast, you should consider your own objectives, financial situation or needs and seek the advice of an appropriately qualified financial advisor.